0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome to the Aikidojo podcast. I am David Ito, Chief Instructor
1: of the Aikido Center of Los Angeles. And with me is... Mike Van Ruth, Aikido 4th Dawn, Yaido 4th Dawn.
2: And Bill D'Angelo, Aikido, 4th Dawn.
0: So, what's the topic of this podcast?
2: So, the topic today is um, how to transmit uh, traditional training methods in a contemporary setting uh, and maybe uh, discuss how that compares to uh, sport training. This question comes to us from a listener, Mark.
0: So, traditional training in the modern world. It's an interesting topic because, you know, of course, Everyone who learns a martial art is learning a traditional martial art. Uh, the people who study a martial art that's not traditional—that we—that's where we call them sport martial arts. But some martial arts have been transitioned into sports right. martial arts.
2: Well, and it's even if you think of the ones that are in the Olympics, you have what do we have? You have karate, taekwondo, judo, and is wushu in no. Wuxu's boxing,
0: fencing. Well, I think wushu might be in the next, because isn't the next Olympics in China? It it is. Who's going to go to that one?
2: <laughs> um, so, wushu would be originally traditional, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. I'm not. I'm not 100 familiar with the history of wushu, but yeah. I mean, we could call it traditional. We could also call it a sport. Judo is, judo is a traditional martial art, but it's also a sport. Right. I guess you train traditionally, but you practice it as a sport?
2: Probably.
1: Would it be defined by what is your end result goal? Where, you know, samurai of old trained because they had to actually go into warfare. Uh, people in these modern times train because, oh, I want to, you know, get my championship belt or win this prize or award or whatever the case may be. Is it revolve around the end results of what you're trying to achieve?
0: Well, I guess you have to go back and define martial arts, you know, f- by, by history. Japanese martial arts, right? So prior to like 1868, prior to the Meiji era, um, they were koryu. And they were martial arts that were specifically designed for combat. And so there was no sport. And So the idea of martial arts or budo was not existent before that time. But then, once the Meiji era, came, you know, came in, and all these people had to rush in and try to make a living, then it became a business.
2: Yeah, I mean, the Greeks had a similar concept. So during the Olympics, there were two, there were three martial arts related events: there was wrestling, boxing, and pankration. And um, the Spartans, who cons- who considered themselves reputationally to be the best warriors. Um, it, was, it was problematic for them to participate in the Olympics because if they lost, then it would tarnish their uh, martial uh, reputation. So for, uh, at some of the Olympics, they did not compete because they did not want to lose and damage their reputation. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, of the three, wrestling, Pankration, and boxing, uh, Pankration, in, 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 for some Greeks, was considered the closest to being martial because there were, there were almost no rules. Um, but for some Greeks, especially the Spartans, they considered all three to be sport because they were not combat. But the interesting thing is that the Olympics and the other four-year games, um, they did have some events where they were more martial. like They had running in armor they had races where you got in full armor and you ran like a hundred yard dash in full armor. So the games did have these quasi-martial aspects to it where you would compete in things that had relevance to your combat. Similar to the pentathlon in the early Olympics in the the turn of the century, which is now kind of... um, I haven't brushed up on this, but I can't remember what the five um, events are for the modern pentathlon. I think it's horseback riding, pistol, swimming, running, and one other one. But they were considered to be the five disciplines of a modern warrior in the 1900s. Mm. Um, so there was, there is was this, in the Western world, there's this transition where there are these qualities that the gentlemanly warrior is supposed to have that then got trained in the Olympics. So there's, I think in the Western side, there's this sense in which sport uh, is trained for the warri- the gentlemanly warrior. Um, and and they get connect, they're connected um, but it, it goes way back for the Greeks. I mean they, there was this, the tension between true martial spirit and training and sport was has always been there going back to the Olympics all the way back to you know 800 BC.
0: But do those people have the same problem that people think that they have today? you know like they, you know like oh you know you that's a sport this is this is warrior based.
2: I think the Spartans did. I think the Spartans. I mean, they trained really hard, and I think for them, um, I mean, look in, in the in the in the Olympics in Greece, which went from 776 BC, the first Olympics, and it ended in four like 450s AD when Christianity killed the Olympics. People died at the Olympics. There were no rounds. It lasted until someone tapped out or died, um, and it took place in the middle of the day in August. So imagine there's no weight classes there's no rounds, and boxing often was the most brutal of the three events. but in pankration and boxing there's no rounds. you could be fighting someone who was two hundred and fifty pounds, and it went until it went so people, di- people <coughs> died people um, died a lot more than people die in today's competition so especially if it was a Spartan fighting i mean there there was a famous there was a famous pankration. Uh, event where a guy died, but he he he, but he won. Like he died, he tapped the guy out, but as he was tapping him out, he died. And it's like the, I've, I wish I could remember the name of the athlete, but his, he's like the most famous Olympian because he he achieved the highest level of competition in his death. It's a very Japanese thing.
0: That's yeah, not only Japanese, <laughs> but that's just a very like heroic
2: death. Yeah, yeah very heroic. Could be samurai, it could be any warrior ethic uh, in a sport. So in that sense, that's not very sportsmanlike. That's very heroic. Mm. Um, so I think this tension's been there in multiple cultures. Um, you know, you it, it, people would be crazy if you saw an athlete die in a present-day Olympics. People would be like, "That's horrible." But for the Greeks, that wasn't horrible.
0: So I think what this person is asking us is, how do you maintain this edge in your training when you don't go out and use this martial art anymore right and you're not gonna go off to battle. So, you know, that's that's the hard part. But I personally think that there is no difference between the people of a thousand or two thousand years ago and the people of today. Yeah.
2: Yeah and and Going back all the way, and we've been talking about the Greeks and, and the early time period of their philosophers. I mean, as as early as the five or six hundred BC, there there you have philosophers like Socrates saying, you know, the youth of of today is is lazy and horrible. Uh, all the way back then. So I mean, it's I I don't think that what we say about young people is, has changed. Every generation has the same laments.
0: Yeah, and that you know that Greek quote about there's only one, the, the warrior is only 1% of the army, is the same as it is today, right? And so the person who enters into a martial art and quits, I bet you it's the same percentage of the number of people that entered in, you know, a thousand years ago, a hundred years ago, whatever it is, because I know that for me, when we check our own statistics, we're no better at keeping students than Freer it was,
2: 20 years ago.
0: 30 years ago. 30 years, right? years ago. It was always 1 in 10.
1: So that attrition rate stays pretty standard.
0: No matter how technologically advanced or how much pedagogical you know schooling I have, I'm still at 1%. Yeah. And so it's not that the martial arts is not for everyone. The martial arts today has been open to everyone. But the person who really like dives in and tries to learn it is that one percent special person, and then you know that's why they equate the the teacher and the student are like shooting an arrow in the sky and meeting
2: each and hit, other. Each yeah. other.
0: That if you can do that, you know you can you are considered a gifted teacher. You know, Freesensey talked about this idea that if you could have one good student in your life, you know you're very lucky. You're very very lucky, and that's so. And you you see that today, and you go, that is so true, mm-hmm. right? But that doesn't mean that the people don't care, or they're not talented. It's just that life happens. And so trying to learn a, l- learn a traditional martial art, I mean, you have to want to be treated that way. And then we don't treat people that way. Right. You know, and we talked about this in the other podcast where I sometimes feel like I rob students of their opportunity to surmount obstacles by taking those obstacles away. But then it's really hard because you don't know which person is going to respond <coughs> okay. respond or wither when you put that obstacle out there. You make the class really physical, The person you think, God, everyone goes, man, that was a great class. The week, a week later, half those people don't even show up. And right. the people that told you the class was so great, they don't show up. And then you go. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the class was great. <laughs> right. And so, f- for instance, you talked about this idea of Gendai, modern martial arts where the the modern person everybody wants to wade in from the shallow end but no one really wants to venture into the deep end right and in the old days because of the time constraint you had to learn things really quickly right you know so like i was reading this book on traditional learning and the this person who learned traditional japanese comedy said that when he started at the sixth year sixth month on the sixth day, as a as a child, the first thing his grandfather did was slap him. Nice. <laughs> and then he said that, like, every lesson he learned at the end of the slap, he never forgot. Yeah. But he doesn't slap his own students. But that's the hard part. Like, that, y- y- you know, you have to, like, create this immediacy. And you, you create that immediacy with pain and suffering. Right? So, I go, oh, you know, Bill, your left foot. Your left foot.
2: Your other left foot. And
0: then I just slap you. Or I take out a switch and slap your, your left leg. You will remember that left leg. Right. You know, like for me, I can't tell my left from my rights. If you said, oh, go down there and, and go south and then turn left, dude, I would just totally be, get lost. But somehow through the training, the training was so stressful under Frucensi, that when he goes, your left foot, my left foot automatically steps back. Or when he says you're using the wrong leg, I automatically know which leg he's talking about, so that <clears throat> there's no like which side's left.
2: So when 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 Mark asks us traditional versus contemporary, um, you know, he, I think, and then he said sport training. Um, what do you, what do we think the difference is? Because like uh, you and I spoke. And then I have a question for Mike. But you and I spoke. You know, I was reading Kano's um, book *Mind Over Muscle*, where he talks about transitioning traditional jujitsu training to a national sport pastime. You know, judo. But what do you think? Like Mark had in mind when he was juxtaposing traditional martial arts training with sport training? Is it a methodology? Um, because in Kano's book, what Kano talks about <coughs> is he gives an example of a jiu-jitsu master that he trained under before he synth- s- synthetized judo. And he said like the-, the master would teach him a technique by just showing him the technique or doing the technique on him. So it even makes it harder to follow because you can't watch it. You're just experiencing it directly. And then Kano sensei said to the teacher, he's like, oh, Thank you for showing it on me. Now please explain it to me. And then the teacher said, no, I'm not going to explain it to you. You have to just experience it 50 times and then you'll, you'll, you'll learn it.
0: Right. And what you're talking about is, I can't remember, the, the sensei, was, his name started with an M, I think. I read that too. And that became the, the crooks of how traditional martial arts was taught you know, at that time and is now currently t- taught the same way. Watch what I do and then, and then do it, right right. And then um, uh, Westerners always want to know what did they do, How did it work? right Eastern Easterners always want to know what did it feel like, right right. right? And so today, the thing that I think this, the listener is asking is, how do I learn today when they don't teach it that way anymore? I mean, for instance, it hit me a few times and he hit other people. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but he didn't hit he didn't hit people all the time. Right. No. So if he didn't hit you, how how are you to learn this lesson when you make a mistake? But the stress the the environment when sensei was alive was so stressful, he didn't have to hit you. So that, that's the problem that they're having in Japan. You know, they you know, if you're the basketball coach or the judo coach or the sumo um, coach is too strict, hits them, yells at them and does all these things now they're getting in trouble getting sued get losing their jobs you know like there's a there's like a famous uh, lawsuit that the basketball coach yelled at the captain of the basketball team and then the captain of the basketball team went home wrote a suicide note and killed himself <sighs> And then that brought to light the abuses of the coach.
2: Did you see? Did I send you that clip during the uh, Olympics of the the female judo? The woman from Germany, where her coach hit her in the face, was 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 was, was amping her up. Yeah, no, I understand, but I remember watching that, and he like kind of just. I mean, you didn't really hit her very hard, but it caused a huge furor um, because people are like, "You can't hit a woman. You can't hit your student." Right. And
0: but but the thing is, is that when you see an MMA fighter, you know, doing all this stuff, hitting themselves. They're actually activating their muscles. Right. So you have like, porcini fi- um, fi- fibers and all these different things and muscle spindles that when that's the way you activate them. And so like, you know, as a, as a therapist, when you're trying to activate a, a muscle on a, on a, one of your, like your patient's leg, uh, slow movements deactivate the muscles and fast movements activate, activate the them. So, you know, that, that from the, un, not, un, not knowing the context, it looked bad. So that's really hard. The hard part about like, cre- you know, this idea of creating realism, right? You know, and that. What I think the person who asked this question is really asking is how do I learn today? Right. You know, you're you're. We're modern people. We're older. You know, by this time, you know, like um, I was reading something about Yamakoteshu. Yamakoteshu died at fifty-two. Oh my God. Yamakoteshu became enlightened at 45 so for seven years he was like oh, oh you know all this stuff and then he died from stomach cancer you know yeah. but like he died at 52 right so as a teenager he was he was identified as being gifted in the martial arts and Zen as a teenager and then he started developing himself and all these different things some of these people are coming to martial arts in their 40s and 50s and mm-hmm. 30s. Right? Longer road. And then they, they, they were saying like, the best time to learn is 19. That's why in the military, they draft you at 19. is because that's the time when you're, so, you're, you're the most... Receptive. Pre- receptive to suggestions and do all these things and you can pattern different things. But, you know, you're in college, you're doing all these things, you're becoming a lawyer. By the time you come back to traditional martial arts, you're 40. And then, how do you learn? And then today, we think that people of today are lazier, can't learn, and have all these problems, you know, concentrating. But that's not—I don't think that's true.
2: Because mm-hmm.
0: again, that Greek philosopher, and I want to say it's uh, Heraclitus, said that you know, out of a hundred warriors, you know, ten shouldn't even be there; <clears throat> eighty are just cannon fodder. Nine are fighters, but only one is a true warrior, right? And that was, you know, hundreds of years ago, this person said that. So what we're really thinking about is this idea that even though we have all this technological advancements, we have video, we have social media, have Zoom chats and all these we have podcasts that people should be able to learn more efficiently. But then that's not the case. But it is the case, right? If you... Um, in the old days, the teacher told you nothing.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so
0: you were blind. So you had to follow and watch, and you had to be very meticulous about what you learned. Today, the teacher tells you everything. But you, that, that that also creates a certain level of blindness. So you still have to be very meticulous and careful about what you're picking up. So is it more on mindset, then, than anything? No, Well, it's... It's on of the student. It's it's always about mindset and about is the student lazy? You know, two hundred years ago, the the student couldn't be lazy because they didn't know if the teacher was going to kick them out or if they're going to get discharged or they have to go off to war. So they have to be very meticulous about learning. Today we have too many opportunities, and so the picture is clouded or more opaque in a different way. Then it was opaque because the teacher told you nothing. Now the teacher tells you everything. So, in both times, in the past and the present, there's a certain level of blindness. Mm-hmm. You're blinded because the teacher di- gives you very little, and you have to work much harder. Today, you're blinded because you have a lot, but you there's too much, so you don't know what to focus on. Both, But both require diligence.
2: Yeah. You know, I was thinking in terms of the, the difference in, in style or, or structure of learning. It seems to me like my experience when, when people uh, come in to visit the dojo uh, and they, they're sitting down watching class or, the, or people that start, the new students, a lot of the new students, not all, but, uh, and maybe both of you have different experiences, but a lot of new students that are um, Westerners and I can, you know, obviously I'm a Westerner, why is a, is, a, is a question you get. Like, why do you do this? Or what happens if I, okay, they see a technique, and then they're like, okay, well, what happens then if I do this, but then I do this? And then you, you get into this hierarchy of questions as opposed to just learning the technique, which kind of goes back to the more traditional way of learning. And then you get caught up in this sort of uh, waterfall of questions. Um, and that seems to be a very an- the sort of Western analytical style of learning, where there, it's it's just it's a structured set of questions that people ask, and um, people have a hard time. Maybe the hard time is not the right word, but they're just they they have a set way of learning things, and they bring it into the dojo, and right. you have to kind of let that go in order to get into the flow in order to build muscle memory and mental training memory. And maybe that's that takes a while to develop out of that so you can get the training. Well,
0: I think right now, like when, when people start to tr- traditionally learn things, like in schools and stuff, isn't that called like the Age of Enlightenment? Like that was that the dawning of the Age of Enlightenment yeah. or something like that? Well, and that's that thing where you want to be explained all these different things and you want to intellectualize martial arts. But this is a physical thing. Exactly. Right? So if you're going to go and learn painting, you're not like, well, how do I shade? How do I do all these things? They're like, hey, you got to learn about colors first. Right. You got to learn about brush pressure and strokes. Right. Then we could get into uh, you know things more deeper. So copy these these famous prints and then by copying them, you learn how to shade them. Right. And all these different things. So today it's the same thing. It's like you want to know. So like when I was having dinner with uh, Kojima Sensei from the Zen temple down the street, he was saying that a lot of people come to the Zen talk, but no one stays for Zazen afterwards.
1: Hmm.
0: Right? So they want to intellectualize. And that's the thing. Too much information. So I think traditional training is very similar to how you learn
1: in the military, isn't it? Yes, exactly. There's there's no... Why this? Why that? It's very militaristic, obviously, because this is what we're gonna do. And, it's, and again, it's training over and over and over and over again, creating that that muscle memory. Because in a stressful situation, you're always gonna fall back to that. What you learn that training. You're not gonna like start to intellectualize or, or think about it. This is how I trained to do it. You've trained with these other people. You know exactly what's going to happen at a particular time, all these SOPs, standard operating procedures. So everything just happens. But you can't intellectualize it. But it's formalized, though, isn't it? It's very structured due to the fact that there are levels of skills and tasks that you need to know as a soldier. And, you know, they have to be able to check the boxes. Do they know how to do this, 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 and do it to a certain proficiency level? And it's always evaluated. But there's no intellectual discussion about this, that, and other. It's very rote.
0: Mm. But they, they give you a manual that they've written, oh. and then you study that manual, and then you drill that manual.
1: There are manuals up to Yin Yang in the military, <laughs> all these, all these uh, manuals on this, that, and other. It's very structured. And again, you're, you're, you train on that, you're evaluated, and then you have to qualify to ensure that those tasks are understood and done proficiently. Yeah, stru- structure is the name of the game when it comes to that type of training
0: you know but that's the hard part today is that like if yeah, cause there are certain different um kung fu traditions oh, that were the in the old days they would teach the form backwards for the really first, for the first for a little while because you got to remember they you couldn't show your techniques or your special technique because if they, people found it out you would lose in a duel against them, because they know your special technique, right? And so, if you ever you ever, ever seen um, the one-armed swordsman, mm-hmm. G- yeah. Jimmy Yu, or I think his name? How, how did the, the, the his school get beat all those times? They watched, they figured out the, the, the technique, and then they came up with a way to- Defeat it. To, to defeat them, and then they couldn't beat the one-armed swordsman because he had one arm, he used a sword in the wrong hand and his sword was only half the size of the other ones. And so when they, they used their special technique, it didn't work. It was a it was like a scissor. It it grabbed the sword and then they when they grabbed the sword, you would do like that, and then they would pull out a dagger and stab you. But because his sword was so short, it'd be like woo and then he would just stab them. But that's that same thing as that. In the old days of martial arts training, you didn't take on students that weren't in the clan or weren't family. Um you know that's why you have all these people that they you had to be adopted in right. to learn, and then you became the hereditary master, because again, y- you're you're trying to become the shogun's um, fencing instructor. You don't want to show your special technique unless you're going to be in front of the shogun or the daimyo or lord. Right, and so you you're you're going to hide that technique so there's no public demonstrations. The only way you got to see the 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 how they trained, the special techniques or whatever it was is to duel them, but then in those days you know the, the, you that that was
2: the, very dangerous.
0: That the kind of it's called like shoku is a duel, but uh, <clears> the <throat> uh, it's dangerous. But one of the things you had to do is that you had to sign a blood oath that if you lost, you would become that person's student,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then you, because you signed the blood oath, you couldn't just you you couldn't just lose and then run away. Right because then that would be grounds to to, ha- to to kill you because you signed the blood oath. And then the authorities would be like, well, you signed this blood oath, I mean, they're gonna come kill you. But also, if you won, you could do what's called a, um, you would break their kaban. You know, they have the, the, sign. The, the sign out front. That's why if you see in like, not so much in Japanese martial arts movies, but in Chinese martial arts movies, when the guy goes and, and challenges that, that school and he defeats them, the first thing he does is kick the kaban off the top front of the, the school and break it in half. You see that in in um, Ip Man three, where when he fe- defeats the other Wing Chun guy, they, that guy in defeat breaks the Kaban in his own school, the his, the sign. Right. <clears throat> but then when you when you beat the teacher in a duel, technically all those students would become your, your students, student. yeah. And the teacher would also become your student. And have to sign blood oath, right? And so that blood oath pr- pr- was supposed to protect you from your IP getting stolen, right? Right, because now the whole dojo is chasing you all over Japan, trying to kill you, and that's, you know, <clears throat> it becomes a you know, you know a fairy tale because everyone's watching this this thing unfold and how you were um, being dishonest, right? So that's the hard part about like understanding like the the how martial arts is taught in the old days. The immediacy of battle required it to be fast and harsh. No time to talk. Why? Why do you think this is the way it is? Hey, could you think man, you gotta just just do it.
1: We got a battle we gotta be doing in a couple weeks. Uh, We need to get up to speed.
0: (laughs) So the teacher doesn't, isn't uh, fielding questions about why but the student also isn't thinking about why. Could you do this thing? Could you Dude, you got to get that cut down, man. We're going to battle in 14 minutes. <laughs> you know, you're doing all that type of stuff. And so, like, when, um, you know, Teshu became enlightened, his big thing was muto, mutoryu, or, uh, empty. empty hand technique, right? But then he had already achieved enlightenment and all these things at 45, and then he only taught it for seven years before he died. So that's that thing, right? If you think about like the traditional martial arts and learning a traditional martial art in the old days, it was super exclusive,
2: yeah. but
0: today it's very inclusive. Hey, you want to join? You got 50 bucks? You you know, like you watch people on uh, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, those people would never be allowed in a martial arts school prior to the Meiji era. It's, they, they would just kill you when you came to the came to the door. Right, no visitors, no foreigners. Right, you know, if you watch, like, um, I think is it the Master with Scott Glenn, which uh, Stephen Skull was the the um, uh, fight choreographer, or Steve Scott Glenn, or is it the Duel? It, well, it's the movie of Scott Glenn where he goes to Japan mm-hmm. and he's a boxer, and then he he's at two rival martial arts school, and he's and they take him in, and he's like watching from the the door, doing the martial arts, and they see him, and they just bring him and beat the crap out of him, <laughs> because that's the way they did it, right? Because there was you weren't allowed to do to watch people train, right? That's a that's a modern
2: era. They, hey, come on in, we got chairs and water, and so I, I have a question about. I've been th- sitting here thinking about this because we've talked about it, I think, in other podcasts. Um, when when second doshu... Uh, wrote his book, The Spirit of Aikido, and then also Kano wrote Mind Over Muscle, and I think also Funakoshi and his book on Karate Do, like, those three books, they all talk about spiritual development in um, the Do path for this change in traditional martial arts. Um, do you think that the Do pathway in a traditional martial art um, has any relationship to what's now in a modern sport has it has that changed
0: i don't think that sport has dough you might follow it as a path but it has no dough right because you the competition is not with others in a a dough right The the competition is with yourself right and so there's all these there's all these factors that came into be to create this idea of boo dough Right, the way of Budo, the way of, of the way of martial arts. That you have to think about um, <clears throat> the opening of Japan, in the Meiji era, the defeat in World War II, um, all those things became the factors in how martial arts changed.
2: Right,
0: right. And so when the martial arts changed from this thing of the art of killing to becoming the art of inner peace. There's a lot that came into it, but largely it's that a person who develops themselves beats all these people. You fought everybody that you could fight to realize that there's the only person that you really need to fight with is yourself. But that's only a concept that you think about after the age of 35, 40. Up until that time, you're full of piss and vinegar. Mm-hmm. Destroy. Right? Right. Fight everybody in the street. You want to see how good you are. You want to see where you fall in the pecking order. You want to see if you can win some trophies. You want to see who the best is. But as you get older, you think, like, it's just it's a pain just to get out of bed, and that becomes the the thing you have to fight with the most. Oh, I got I can't eat these French fries because I'm trying to gain some weight. Oh, the doctor says I have high cholesterol. It's all these things that you have to fight, which are hidden, that are the true opponents. Beating someone, uh, you know, in, in competition, you won that trophy. That lasted all of ten seconds. Yeah, I got the trophy. Uh, all right, what's next? Right. So, the uh, the victory over others is super empty. And so, for a do, the victory over yourself is the most important thing. Every every traditional martial arts talks about that. Chinese traditional martial arts, Japanese traditional martial arts, Japanese traditional martial arts like judo, kendo karate Aikido they all talk about the, the same thing the same thing as the, the the opponent that you're trying to defeat is yourself, your ego right and so that's also part of the problem of traditional training. you got to want to embark on that thing. man I just want to learn how to defend myself. I just want to go you know to a club and not be beaten up by all these people. I just want to not be afraid. I don't want uh, enlightenment. I don't want inner peace. And again, the person who achieves inner peace or enlightenment is but one less than one percent, right? If if even in this modern era, people people can like when I think about like uh, modern Aikido teachers, there's probably only one or two that I go, oh that 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 I know of. I go, oh that person's going to hit maybe get close to achieving that mark. Hmm. You know, and that you, you could talk about it well. You know, Shin, Shin Mufusatsu, true Budu does not kill. You know, Oh, O-sensei said the poem the, I'm going to read O-sensei's Doka poem for you and all these, those people, you know, they say those that speak do not know, right? Because if you're going to talk about it, you don't really know anything about it. So that's the hard part about developing yourself in the, in the martial arts. You come from a military background. There's no time to talk about inner peace you feel inside right now well i'm feeling a little weird feelings who issued those <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one yeah <clears throat> um did you did you uh watch that video i sent you about the two climbers
2: not yet not yet uh this weekend
0: i don't know how true it is but they they um in the, in the it's a promo they said that there's only like three real sports bullfighting car racing and mountain climbing.
2: Mountain climbing. Yeah, um, so Ernest Hemingway. Code? Ernest Hemingway said that. Yeah, but the, what he means by that is, is those are, those three sports are the ones where the chance of dying are very high. So what Hemingway meant by that was um, a sport where your uh, risk of death is not significant. Is you might as well just play golf.
0: Well, that's the thing. It's just a game. It's just so a game. That's the same problem that mar- traditional martial arts is having. There's no. There's no edge. There's no edge to it. Yeah. Right. You have to fight your. You have to fight your way to the edge to realize that there's an edge. You're mm-hmm. not invincible. <gasps> I'm not invincible. <gasps> you mean I can die? <gasps> well then I need. I need to act differently. I feel weird inside. Yeah. You know I can't tell you how many children of ma- traditional martial arts teachers have told me the exact same thing. Oh, I hate karate. I hate aikido. My really? dad was an aikido teacher. Yeah. Why do they? He, why do they hate because it? Because my dad was always at the dojo. He never, he's never at home. And I'm mm. like, oh, sorry about that. No, I, I try to be at home with my kids. But yeah, I hate Aikido. Why? Oh, my dad was an Aikido teacher. Oh, he was? Yeah, he was never home. He was always at the dojo. And you know, so they, they, <clears throat> you're at the dojo because you have a responsibility to teach and do all these different things. You know, most people don't understand that. Most people don't understand the commitment. What do people always say to you when you about martial arts, about your Aikido and Judo training? Why don't you just quit. How not you learn yeah, enough? Yeah. Uh,
1: you got a black belt. Is that? Don't you just quit after that? They don't realize that that's just the beginning. They don't, but they have no concept or any understanding of that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, in 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 Western, I don't know about what it is like in Asia, but certainly in the United States and probably England, there is this sense that there's an end stop of knowledge and once you reach that end stop you don't need to train anymore but that's just a common um you know misperception i think yeah
0: like did you ever see the movie
1: nobody with um uh better call sal Sal, that guy yeah no you
0: know he's a former um military person that's in retirement and that you know, something happens and he has to use his skill again, and then all of a sudden he just has that skill. No, like all these skills, uh, gunfighting, gun martial arts, they're all perishable. Yeah, You can't, you can't do those same things that you, th- that you did 10 years ago or even 10 days ago.
1: To right? that same level.
0: To that same level, mm-hmm. right? When I was in college, I read this study that they did that said that the average professional athlete loses conditioning after 10 days of inactivity. Interesting. So what's the age of the average professional athlete?
2: 25.
0: 25, right? 26. 25, and they start to lose it after 10 days. Me being 50, I start to lose it in... 10 hours? <laughs> yes. <yeah, laughs> 10 <laughs> minutes? <laughs> burr, you know? And so, but that's that thing, right? Like... You you know, when people go, Oh, that person was so good at Aikido in the nineties, they should they should come back and, and open a dojo. And I go, That was the nineties, man. Yeah. That doesn't mean nothing today. You have to go back and get back into shape and create that momentum and then you could start really working on your technique. Yeah. And then the techniques that you were so good at back in the day, today you go, Oh, my foot doesn't work like that anymore. Yeah. My hip my hip is a little bit messed up. I have a tight butt muscle on the right, so I can't turn the corner on that one as fast. Your butt, you don't have the the same physicalness, right? And so yeah. it's a perishable skill. Like you you know how to break down your your M sixteen, but no one uses an M sixteen anymore. So you try breaking down the AR fifteen. This thing's a little bit different. They call this the muzzle. I call it the barrel. What? Which is you know? There's too much things have passed you by toward you think. Oh yeah, I could just pick it up again. And martial arts is the same way. You you're good at kicking people. I could kick people all day long, and then you stop do, kicking, your body goes back to being normal, and then you go to kick someone, it hurts or you get injured.
1: Yeah, your body revolts. Yeah,
0: when I used to do a lot of boxing uh, back in the nineties, my the from mm-hmm. here to here on these knuckles, both hands were were like chronically bruised, so mm-hmm. they were always they always had this like brown tinge to them. Today I don't hit the bag anymore and they don't have that anymore. But that was the thing, is that because I hit the, the the bag barehanded, no no gloves, no no Tape. no wraps and all that type of stuff. And that's the thing, if you wrap your hands, when you wrap your hands as a boxer, you don't n you don't realize how much your wrist flexes when you punch somebody. Right. Because now you're splinting it so you never do that. And then you go to hit someone in the street, bam and oh! break your wrist. And then you break your own wrist punching someone in the face because you don't, you're too strong for, and then you don't have the ability because you,
2: you're too strong for your wrist. Because yeah. your other part of your body's been built up, your hips, your shoulders, and yeah. then bam, your weak spot.
0: You're the weak spot and it breaks. But that's the hard part today in the martial arts. You do certain types of things which are, f- are flashy, those things are the things that leave first.
2: So another question about because so Mark's Mark's juxtaposing the training with sport. So you y- you said that like sport doesn't have d- dough, or a sport doesn't have dough, which I'm assuming part of it would be, um, the the spiritual goal or the the path. Right, it
0: has it has dough the way, but it doesn't have dough the spiritual
2: ending. component to it. Um, sport is competitive so dough shouldn't shouldn't be or doesn't have a competitive component to it um is there something specifically in the way that sport would in in the way we think it is that the way it's taught like do we like if you think of the way um uh let's say you know if you're a, a, a trainer in sport versus a martial arts teacher like if you can compare those experiences what are the 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 real differences in the way a trainer trains an athlete for sport versus the way a martial arts teacher teaches um, an, an aikidoist or uh, a kendoist.
0: Think about it from this standpoint. From a sport standpoint, you have
2: to always uh,
0: hide the weakness and build up the strength. So think about uh, Rocky III, or is it Rocky? IV? Four. Rocky. <laughs> so many Rockies. Uh, I think it was either Rocky Three or Rocky the one with Four. Don't went Dolph. I, I can't remember which one it was. Is that uh, Rocky's a southpaw, and so they're training him, and they say, and they taught him to switch. Right. And then in, in the middle of the fight, the guy yells out, "Now nah, switch!" Right. And then he switches the rest. Everyone's like, "Oh my god!" He switches to orthodox, and then the, the person's not ready for it. Right. Right. So they
1: he was they, banking everything on that southpaw yeah. stance. And so, but when they, they, they
0: uh, from a sports standpoint, you think like, especially if you, if you took like um, judo, there are hundreds and not thousands, maybe even millions of different throws, right. right? But then most times you get good at one throw and right. then you develop that one throw and then you just only develop that one throw to its infinite possibility right. so that you could take that into competition to destroy people. So if you look at Ronda Rousey, right? That that was her big thing. Except for, you know, her technique is is stacked maybe like three techniques, four techniques deep. deep right. But she she put all her eggs in that one basket. So what happened is that when f- someone finally struck her in the face, th- the done. swimmer came out. I <laughs> the didn't swimmer. know what to do. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then but that's the thing. That's a sport as a martial art. You can't just develop one thing because you don't know what the what the
2: situation is going
0: to be. Situation or what the opponent's going to bring. I I really worked on uh, knife technique. Oh my god, he brought a sword. I really worked on sword. Oh my god, he brought a, you know, staff. So, you know, that's the hard part with if, with a sport is that you you only have to keep it together for 3 minutes per round for a boxing match right. and 3 minutes for a judo match or whatever it is. In martial arts, Budo fighting, war, there's no rounds. rounds.
1: And there's a possibility of death.
0: Right, and that's where um, the Gracies wanted to bring back, uh, you know, MMA with no rounds. No rounds, no 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 time classes. Because one of the things that they use is they use their conditioning against every other person. Wear them down. Wear them down. Because if you're the type of person who's good at your martial art but out of shape, then you would you want to drag that person into open waters. Right. When you drag that person into open waters.
1: You go swimmer on you.
0: Right. What does does Patton
1: say? (laughs) Fatigue makes a coward out of everyone.
0: Yeah. And what does that mean? It means that once you become uh, fatigued, everything goes out the window. Yeah. Your mindset, your technique, and all these different things. I give up. And then when you lose everything, you want to run away. You become a coward. Right. But then in the martial arts, you don't have that. You got to, Kill or be killed. You uh, you got your. They chopped off your arm. There's no. Well, you won. Here's your trophy. No, you got to switch the
1: other hand and, and go for it. Keep
0: fighting. You know. So that's the hard part about like trying to figure out how to how to balance sport competition with traditional training. Because traditional training, you do a lot of things which you have no idea what the end is with this. But you do what you're told because you're you believe. Trust and have faith in your teacher, Mm -hmm. you know. But in a sport, um, you know, competition-wise, you are only going to be competing for ten years or eight years or whatever it is. So you need to develop. This guy's really strong. uh, Develop this right hand, and then you develop that right hand. Oh, this person's really good at wrestling. Okay, develop that thing. Very, very competition. There is no time for in competition to learn everything. But in the martial arts, you have to learn everything because you don't know you don't know two. the reason why you have to learn everything in martial arts is two reasons. One, you have to learn everything because you might be the person left over at the end which has to teach the next generation. And then two, you have to learn everything because you never know what your opponent's going to bring to the table. When that person faces off with you, all you see is a silhouette, it's barely 2D, right? you only see the facade you don't know if they have a gun in the back a taser a nice. knife you don't know if they're that that crazy um, martial arts technique where they're all standing super close like ninjas and then when they when you go to attack them they they spread and Multiply. it's like 18 guys and you're like oh i only brought i only brought nunchucks for two of you <laughs> you know so i
2: i have a question which is, is always has been eating at me and i think uh, mark's question brings it up um in the West, and especially for, you know, ancient classical cultures, um, they, they had competition in every level of their society. They had it in literary, they had it in academics, they had it in uh, athletics, um, and they certainly were in combat almost every year of their culture. But the way I understood competition in many ways is that it was in a, when they weren't at war, their, their combat competitions were uh, an approximation of martial conflict and were used as training for martial conflict. Um, and that's held steady in, in the West, that competition uh, helps refine and build new techniques, new technologies, efficiency. Why do you think that there's this juxtaposition um, in Asian martial arts where, comp- where there is this belief that competition degrades a martial art or the learning of a martial art? Whereas in the West, um, competition is considered um, an, an enhancer of the way to develop technique efficiency uh, of technique.
0: Well, the reason why is because of all the ancillary things that come with competition. That's one. You know, to win, you sometimes have to cheat. To win, you have to sell the fight and say all kinds of mean, rude things. It brings out the worst in us, not the best in us. And then the second thing is that there you in order to learn the techniques, to create new techniques or create efficiency Most people are like, yeah, well, you know, I've been doing Aikido for a year, and I came up with my own technique. Uh, what? You know, you don't even have the footwork down, right? And so you have to develop yourself to a certain level to, it's like the idea of Mm ri Shu, the shu stage is memorization, rote learning. Ha is details, you know, really refining that that knowledge, and ri is to break the form, and that's where you would create a technique. But all these people are like, I've been doing Aikido five years, There's what skip in the first part? I'm showed on. I've been in Aikido, Aikido five years. As my teacher would say, you don't know nothing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, like I, like I, think of, um, for example, like the, the knights in the in the period between 1200 and 1600, Before the knights kind of went out of favor after firearms became very popularized in the sixteen hundreds and fall, that um, the chivalric code um, had. There was this period of time where there was martial combat in competition, um, and there were very strict rules. Um, and the chivalric combat competitions enhanced um, the training and the, um, the skill set for the, this class of warriors. And it was it was interstate competition. You could compete in France, and England, Germany. Uh, and then those people then off, would go off to war and use a lot of the same techniques that they developed. But there was a there was a code of behavior. There were certain things that if you did incorrectly, you would be ostracized or you would lose your rank. Um, and I wonder, um, is it competition itself that's bad, or is it the way we compete that's bad?
0: Well, it's 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 both those things. When money becomes a factor, it ruins. Everything, mm. partnerships, relationships, families, art, art, all these things. Because now it's like uh, I gotta beat you because I'm not. My kids aren't gonna eat. So many, you know, like in the in the early part of, of MMA, so many Brazilian Jiu Jitsu teachers came over from Brazil to fight in the competitions. And when there's a draw, they got paid, right. and then they took that money back and started uh, schools in their own uh, countries, right? Because money became the the Driving force. Yeah, the primary driving force for the reason why you compete. And so, you know, you're going to take steroids because you don't eat. You're going to do these things or else you're not going to eat, right? And so that's the hard part is that there's no code of conduct, but there also is no discernment between the guy who owns a martial arts school on the corner down here, who's been doing, who learned martial arts on a weekend is now doing kids classes and a guy who's been studying martial arts for thirty years and developing himself and um, you know really really trying to follow the way, there's no distinction. They're one and the same. Oh, I'm a black belt karate, you know. And you think who's your teacher? Oh, well, I learned online and then I started do, do, doing this thing. You learned online? Well, you know, I only really teach kids.
2: You you bring up something that's so interesting. Uh, I mean, this is completely tangential, but it's kind of connected, which is, you know, we're now going into a year and a half of the pandemic. And I was reading an an article yesterday, because my my firm is still remote. We're 100% remote in 22 offices around the world. And uh, I was reading that uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers has 55,000 employees, and they've they were, they, the CEO said, we give up, we're, we're going to let people decide on their own if they want to be remote, and if they want to be remote, fine, we give up. You can be remote. The only thing that they said was, we're going to have salaries based on your location. So if you're making a million dollars a year right now and you live in Manhattan, but you move to Iowa, your salary is going to go down, so it's cost adjusted based on where you live, which I think is fair. Yeah. Um. But it's interesting because that the same day I read that article, there was another article that w- was uh, about how these bankers in New York they can't get their employees to come back to work, even with threatening to fire them. People will just say, "Look, fine, we don't want to go. We're, we don't want to go back to work. Coronavirus. Sorry." So, how does this relate to what we're talking about now? Is like if you have a whole culture that is now remote. Um, you know how do we encourage people cuz i know we have online classes or at least we broadcast our classes um you know what is it what does it mean to study um martial arts online
0: well and that's where you're really thinking about what everyone's talking about today oh traditional martial arts is dying oh we need to all start social media marketing and all these different things i don't think so yeah even though i do a lot of social media stuff i don't think so I don't think so. I think that people will naturally need to have touch, right? Mm-hmm. And they will crave that because they've been sitting in front of this, you know, fifteen-inch, twenty-inch screen Eight all day, day long, yeah. And they didn't really talk any, to anybody. Yeah. They talked to people, but they didn't really connect. They want to eat dinner with their friends. They want to get touched by other people. They want to go dancing. You dancing on Zoom doesn't work, mm-hmm. right? Do an Aikido on Zoom, not the same thing, and that you will crave that, that human touch. And so, that comes back to the, the oneness of learning is now on the te- back to the teacher. Right. So, I can go, you know, I really want this touch, and I really want to learn this art. Well, I can go to this guy down the street who has no lineage, who has very few students, you know, isn't a very good teacher. Or I can go to these people that have really devoted themselves to their arts, and i really think that people are going to search that out and they'll be able, and because we have the internet and that transparency they can smell the bs right. they go oh that guy's full of it or they they go well, that doesn't make any sense you know but that's the hard part is that you have to survive in order to thrive right and so you can't you know people are you know really you know come down on homeboof for how they do their grading and how much money they make but they don't realize what it takes to keep that organization going so that you have a tomorrow right right if they fold up you go what happened they should have charged more well you were complaining about it
2: isn't isn't aren't they grappling also with um there's been some movement from do- some member dojos to get uh, aikido in the next olympics as a demonstration sport no Okay, I uh, thought
0: that there was... Oh, no, not from Kai. Not from Kai, but I've but heard from, that... Yeah, y- but it'll y- never happen. Okay. Kai has already... scratched. Stra- that. Well, they strategized, their, they were smart. See, and that's the thing. That stuff costs money. Kai was smart. The IOC, you have to, in order to be part of the IOC, you have to be part of all these or, other sports organizations, organizations, and they only allow one representative from every sport. So Kai is already there. And so Aikikai can block, right? But that's the thing: is that like you know, how do we, when Aikido becomes a sport, it's going to be you know, you just look at the Karate or the Olympics. What was the average age of those those competitors? Twenty something. Yeah. Right. The the person who's really phenomenal at Karate can't last a match, but that guy is like fifty one. Right. Right. The fifties are supposed to be your prime. In, in traditional martial arts, that's when you're the most knowledgeable. That the fifth, if you've been training since you were young, the fifties is was your prime. And that's where the you're the most physical, but also the most experienced. Right. And then that that fifties is the is the that's the time where where everything comes together. Right. Your technique is is the highest it's ever been. You have that physicalness, but you also have the knowledge. Right. But. That's the thing, is that like you you don't see those people winning gold medals, right? Also, those, you, there's a lot on the line. If I if I go as a fifty year old sixth degree black belt and then I get smoked by a first degree black belt from uh, some island country that's super small and only has one dojo on the island, how bad does that look? Really? Like, no, I've been training my whole life. And all these different things, but I also have like eight broken toes. I've had forty-three separated shoulders, and all you know of all these problems that that person didn't have, and, and they, youth, and youth, and, and then that arena, speed wins. Right, speed wins in that moment. Right, ah, you got that point, but that point wasn't even a real hit. Then when he got his, like, what was that? <laughs> yeah, but you got the point, you know. And so that's the hard part about about sport in today's thing it's like you could, you could have a uh, competition in Aikido, but what they're saying is that there's not enough time to compete and develop yourself at the same time. So you might as well develop yourself because the competition, when the competition is like this, the person at the top wins, right? But then the people who are all below in that pyramid all become, um, inter- internally bankrupt
2: in in kendo in the olympics is it, is it split men's and women's kendo, kendo's not in the olympics. it's not in the olympics no, because
0: it's not no, i think the reason was because it, not enough people do kendo uh, worldwide to create a, oh you know,
2: wow i thought it was in the olympics no, it wasn't. Oh,
0: and wow. this, this would have been their shot because it, it, it's you, a you, japanese
2: you, demonstration
0: sport yeah the the host country um uh can pick
2: certain sports yeah
0: that, that's that's why karate was in this olympics but will not be in any other olympics That's why Wushu, I think, is going to be in the the Olympics. And that's one of the reasons why um, softball and baseball were in the or were in the Olympics prior to because of 1984 Olympics in the United States. But then softball fell out, but they're trying to, I'm not sure if they brought it back or they're trying to bring it back, you know, because they say it's very, you know, it's, it's good for girls in sports. And that's true. Right. But that's the hard part that who ends up winning these things? Yeah. And what do they win them for? And then, is the person who win the, wins the gold medal in karate the best karate practitioner? No. Or judo practitioner? And that's the hard part that, like, you know, the competition only, only brings out the animal in you, right? But you have to have that balance. But then how do you have that edge in a traditional martial art where there is no competition? But then, do I have time to compete? I have time to live my life on the competition circuit of Aikido, winning gold medals and all these different things, and improving myself at the same time.
2: Well, there's a, there's another aspect of sport, which I think Aikido can have in a traditional sense, which has nothing to do with competition, and that's just sport. Um, and I think Aikido, Judo, Kendo, Karate, fencing, you know, European or Japanese, and that's uh, conditioning. Um, I think that Uh, Especially I know our school, uh, when we practice at a high level, uh, we become well-conditioned. And I think uh, a sport that has good training uh, with well-thought-out lesson plans that is attentive to people's uh, different uh, training modalities become well-conditioned.
0: But that's not – you can't market that. You because you know because well, if you if you're marketing it and that type of thing, everyone wants to see your six pack. Well, you know, and they go, oh, well, M- Master Ito's got himself. He's fifty and he's rocking that six pack. I want to be on that team. And then you don't know that I do steroids at the same time to keep that <laughs> six pack and all these different things and that.
2: Well, all I'm saying, Sensei, is is that um, I mean historically, and I think even today, like if you compare our school to other schools. I think that we have a pretty vigorous practice.
0: Well, but that's, we have a, we do it a very traditional way. Other people, the,
2: you know, that's the thing. Is but that's f- contiguous with the sport mentality in the sense that sport, one of sport's goals is before you can compete, you have to be conditioned.
0: Well, yeah, that's that's true. But the thing is, is that you have to choose a, uh, choose a dojo, right? And you're... You're going around, and then you go, "Which one should I choose?" And they go, "Oh, the one with the most gold medals, with
1: like right. all those trophies in the yeah. window." Well, yeah, I mean, if you're
2: choosing a kendo or a judo or whatever, but I'm just saying that, um, looking at that, Mark's question about where there might be, if you have a Venn diagram and where the things overlap, I think one area where traditional, at least our traditional, overlaps with a, with let's say a modern sports uh, dojo would be that. Um, I think we're as good at, at any sport as any sports dojo in terms of our conditioning levels. Right, but
0: people don't look at it like that. Mm-mm. When they're watching an Aikido video, they don't go, "Man, that guy's in good shape." They go, "Man, that guy slaughtered that dude. Yeah, give him a body bag." <laughs> yeah. Right. Man, they're you like, see how he threw dude, that dude, dude to a break fall? That's real, even though break fall is totally fake. Yeah. Right, but like, that's a thing, right? Like, people, what are they looking for? They they read the the John Stevens philosophies of Osenseis in a book and they go I want that and when they get there and you're like now you got to put the work in they go well, I can't just sign here and then I get enlightenment no, I, I, I
2: understand what you're saying and there there is for you there's an element of Aikidoists that. Are the philosophers? There's the philosopher king, Aikidoist. Oh, I
0: would say 99. No, maybe not 99. In the United States, in, in the West,
2: 90.
0: 90 percent are all philosopher uh, kings, philosophizers, philophilizers. Right? You just think, <laughs> oh, and then oh Sensei, let me put, let me bring out this whiteboard and write all these different things, and that's where it comes back to Lao Tzu's um, quote: "Those that know do not speak." Right, and that that's the hard part with today with traditional martial arts training is that you got to sell yourself.
2: But the thing is, Sensei, when I, when, I, when people find out that I do Aikido, friends of mine, um, they're like, "Oh man, I love Aikido." They don't do Aikido, but they're like, "I just lo- I love this philosophy." People people in the West connect. Right, they really do. I mean, they, but but if
0: you think about connecting with the philosophy, the philosophy is not something that should be drank by the beginner
2: the philosophy is only something that is by the I'm just saying that when you when people when the the people who connect with aikido that haven't done a martial art or are in their 20s and 30s especially intellectual people highly educated people they're attracted to aikido because they're like i don't want to be a boxer i don't want to hit people I, I want to be peaceful. Yeah, but then, th- but that the the problem with that thinking is that
0: that's not really Aikido. I, when you get there and someone throws you down and you hit your head, you go, "Wait, what, ha- well, what just what? happened?" No, I know. What about I, the what,
1: peace, love, and harmony? What, um,
0: <laughs> this guy cranked the heck out of my wrist. Where's the peace, love, and harmony? That guy choked me. That guy. You know, th- uh, I, I, this is, where where's the love and harmony with this? I, look, I agree.
2: I'm just saying it's, <laughs> it's interesting because I've had these interactions, I want to say hundreds of times. People are like, oh, oh you I have d- them
0: every day with people. Oh, you must be a master. master? I'm not a master. I don't, I'm not master of nothing, man. <laughs> you know, but that's the thing is that people, I mean, you know, a, a person once um, approached me about doing acupuncture at his acupuncture clinic. And I go, oh, I don't know. And you like, oh, but sh- uh, my my style of acupuncture, we we follow the Tai Chi and all these different things. And you should know all these things because you're an Aikido teacher. And I go, I don't know any of those things. Yeah. But I do know how to crank the hell out of your wrist. <laughs> I do know how to bust your arm and smash your head on the ground. Or flatten you go, your oh, carotid but artery. But that's not Aikido. And you go, yeah, that is Aikido. That is 90% of Aikido is the thrashing someone on the, on the mat. It's only later on do you come to realize Osensei's philosophy when, lots of times the shoe has to be on the other foot, and right. then you go, "Man, that person destroyed me." I do that to people too. I don't want to do that. That's not the. That's not the way I want to be.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think. Look, I think the question that Mark asked is a, is an interesting question, um, but it's ultimately it's an analytical question, which is what you're saying is. People in the West, um, because we have analytical philosophy, they approach martial arts analytically and then they get in a trap.
0: Right. And that, that uh, the, like I said, if we bring it back to the beginning, the, there's a trap in the beginning uh, in the old days where the teacher tells you nothing and so you can easily go astray. Right, And so you have to be very diligent. And so today you are given everything but then you can easily go astray and so you have to be diligent so traditional training is no different than today than it was a hundred years two hundred years a thousand years ago you must be diligent you have to be able to to realize what's important and what's not important what's real what's fake what's just the teacher feeling this today and not feeling this tomorrow like oh yeah we should yell at our students well then you go oh yeah but then you know that our, our teacher was like that you know but he's just an unhappy person yeah right and so you know you have to kind of realize but, he like did,
2: but But for instance I did I mean and all three of us went through this that when you talk about sports sports creates its edge through competition when you like go to compete you have that little nervous stomach from the butterflies and you go before a competition that's how that created the edge what I, what I call in the west is sort of syn- a, a synthetic um, risk right For instance, it created that synthetic risk through terror, right? And Uh, stress. And stress. Um, So I think that uh, you know our we we create that through the um, the environment that we have, and I think that even to even in our dojo today, which is still a very traditional dojo, the the element of competition that is there it's still there but it's not com- competition for trophies i think that um we we compete against each other
0: we do but then if, if you look at the, the dojo today nobody's competing against each other in the old days we competed all the time against each other to yeah. see who was the best Just Try and
1: trash we, each other now
0: we don't but so it's this idea that when uh, when ray rice hits his girlfriend And people say, well, what do you expect? This person, that's what he does for a living. Or when John Jones beats up his wife, his girlfriend or wife, or whatever that lady was the other day, where was the martial arts in that? Where was the philosophy? Where was the dough? Where was the inner peace? Those people can destroy others, but the person that they cannot destroy is themselves, because they never learned that in the training, because the training was completely focused on destroying the other. Opponent. Right? Right? And that's the thing, is that uh, there's always going to be something left in that basket. As you scrape the bottom, oh, there's a little bit of aggressiveness there. You know, this guy always tries to give me, you know, guns to protect my myself and my family. And I'm like, no, because I'm an aggressiveness addict, right? I'm an anger and aggression is my, is my default, my meth, right? And so you, I cannot be anywhere around it. So, the same thing with those people is that you can't tell them, uh, be a a monster here and destroy people, but then not do that at home. They have no distinction. right? And then, you know, John Jones is beating up his girlfriend in front of his three kids. Yeah. He he can't even go, oh, wait, this is not the time or the place. Or Ray Rice is hitting his girlfriend in the the, um, uh, elevator. And then the thing that most people don't really focus on is that Ray Rice went back for his girlfriend's flip-flop. He seemed to go in the elevator getting her flip-flop as a as a dutiful boyfriend or husband or whatever it is another merit I guess right but see like see how like there's that he, where was where was the ray rice getting the flip-flop as a diligent nice boyfriend when he was knocking her out cold right where 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 was the art in that where was the competition came out in that moment John Jones is beating up his girlfriend in front of his three kids. You don't think that's going to traumatize them?
2: Yeah, it's definitely going to traumatize. But them.
0: that's what he does for a living. He destroys people. He's probably like Mike Tyson is probably one of the greatest so, so MMA me, fighters so in the world. So for me, this
2: comes down to like the rules that the knights lived by. So like for a knight, but but the the rules that the
0: knights live by, who enforced those rules? The knights. So like if you did something like that, the knights all come to your house and kill you? They might. See, we don't have that today. We don't all get in the car and go down to John Joe's house and go, "Sorry, buddy, you broke the rules." And then we all we all got to fight
2: them one on one. You know, like we don't. There's. I mean, they were a self policing organization. I mean, well, but their name meant a lot
1: too. To, to I mean, shame you, your if name if you
2: dishonored yourself. That that's like. See, this is very interesting. Like, I think that that or you know, like, like having a code where your reputation mattered more than money, mattered more than anything. Um, it's self-regulate. It's self-regulating, and it's very similar to Japanese martial culture. In Japanese martial culture, your reputation matters, your more, than money matters well, more than
0: your family name. Matters more than anything. I know you both are, aren't huge fans of cancel culture, but that's what cancel culture is. Look at this. Think of Kobe Bryant. Today was alive and raped that girl.
2: He'd be done.
0: He'd be done. Yeah. But because that happened
2: back in, ago, yeah.
0: back in the day, and then he won championships when he made a comeback. All is forgiven, and he's now a martyr yeah. in, his, in death. But the, th- that's the thing, is
2: that there's no... no what I was getting at, Sensei, is it's about the rules that govern the context. And the thing that I like about the knights was they had very stringent rules that were positive. You, The, the stronger your enemy that you fought, the greater your reputational glory that got, even if you lost. Like, if you lost to a great enemy, the enemy would reward you like if if you and i fought and and you're a great teacher and we lose in a fight you would i would get benefit from losing to a, a great enemy like even the loser gains glory losing to a great warrior and so they had this system of of reputational benefit but you also had to show charity and compassion to the poor you had to show love and compassion for your family and to the people who were above you and below you, and it was a but shame and and not behaving properly was very tight. The rules were very tight, um, and that's all I'm saying is like maybe what we have what we don't have now is the positive rules to help people. Um, right, but you know why we don't have the positive rules?
0: Because this is a business, and you are my customer. Mm-hmm. You can just go oh. I'm just going to leave and go to another dojo that I like better over there. They'll give me third don. Oh wow!
2: I mean, because I don't see these rules as as a negative. Like yeah, but you don't
0: because you're you're a good person who has morals and ethics. But other people, John Jones is he? The, the, he is probably one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time. Of all time. And here he is, the only person he can really fight is his girlfriend, right? And then yeah. he's going to ruin that. He doesn't care about his reputation in that moment, you know. Mike Tyson doesn't care about his reputation. Kobe Bryant doesn't care about his reputation in that moment. And then the the code, their reputation, their shame, their code of ethics, what it looks like to their family, they don't care. Yeah. And so today, that's the hard part. You think, what's that person going to do?
2: But we can always live aspirationally, and well, yeah, and as no, teachers,
0: the, that's, we're, that's mean, what you're, we're trying you're, to do.
2: You're our teacher, but Mike and I are junior teachers. As teachers. You can try to live aspirationally and set set aspirational goals for people.
0: No, but that, I mean, that's what we're trying to do today. Yeah. But the pushback from the consumer is that, oh, well, it's cheaper over here. It's faster over there. That guy's funnier. That guy talks a lot. This one's, yours is, well, very physical and very hard. Uh, I'll just go someplace else. Right? There's too many choices. In the old days, there weren't that many Aikido dojos. Mm-hmm. You See,
2: because to me, that's a lot of what do means is... It's, it has an aspirational quality to it. You're going to live a certain type of life. It's like, the thing that always gets me is, I don't know, you probably know this story. Every You, both of you know this story. But it was like, I remember Sensei said to me one time, like, if you drop, like, a piece of paper out of your pocket by accident, and you see that you drop it, like, you have to pick it up, even, even if no one's watching. Because, like, to, even that small kind of, like, littering is, like, a bad thing to do. It's, like, bad for the environment. It's bad for... It's it, you know it pollutes and it's a reflection on your character. It's a reflection on your character, but if, even if no one sees and it's a tiny little thing, but you you can't let that happen. So you have to pick well, it up. But
0: that's the thing is that today you have to go. You better pick that up. I mean, you should hear me at home. That that's the thing I hear. I say to my kids all the time. You throw that away. You pick that up. Yeah. <clears throat> But then you, want, you have to say it enough to where it becomes a thought in their mind. Right. So when they drop it, they think. But you want to get it to a place where wh- as it drops, you, don't, you're, you're, you never even think and just pick it up and throw it away right. without thought. But that's a really hard place to get to because I pay my dues here. Why do I got to clean the bathroom? Well, you clean the bathroom to remind yourself that you, know, you, got, you shouldn't make a mess. Yeah, but I don't make a mess. <laughs> so why do I got to go clean the bathroom? which
2: which which raises a really interesting question of and this is why I like the examples of the knights just I mean I love the rules that they had and the the culture that they created because it didn't last but that almost could be another topic for for the podcast which is what kind of positive um you know, rule set does can be created in a dojo environment that expands outside the dojo
0: well there's all kinds of stuff but what ends up happening is the teacher does not embody the rules themselves, and thus the whole thing breaks down. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And so if the teacher is out, you know, smoking crack and convorting with hookers, how can the teacher tell you you shouldn't do that? Right. If you're the teacher's accountant, and then you know the teacher uh, cheats on his taxes, how can you tell him, hey, uh, Bill, you shouldn't you shouldn't steal, and you go, hmm, you shouldn't steal either with those taxes like that. Right. Or you're being a lawyer, you know, oh, uh Bill, you shouldn't act that well. Then you shouldn't get arrested for a So I say, how about that? Right. Or see, but that's the thing is that the teacher. That's why I said in the beginning, <clears throat> there are very few teachers where I go. That person's going to make it. That person is living living the way. Because mm-hmm. most people, it's like, oh, he got. Oh, I love it. He comes. This this teacher comes to my dojo every year, and then you know I take him fishing, and then after the uh, seminar, we get so drunk, man. It's so cool. Well, one teacher took me, I, I, I did a seminar at this one person's school, he took me to dinner afterwards and told me how he, the week before, he went to, a, he took one of the students to a strip club for his birthday. And I was like, oh, whoa, whoa that's crazy, right, that you saw behind the curtain, and then you saw that they don't live, the, they're not living the, these lives that they're telling you to live, that hypocrisy, right, they're not really living by the example, they're just telling you, oh, you should be doing this. And yeah. that's the, worst, the, the biggest problem you have in all things, not just martial arts, but religion, traditional martial arts, tr- uh, other traditional arts that are out there. That people, they say one thing, but then they do another. Yeah. You know, I don't drink, but then I tell you, oh, you guys should, shouldn't, shouldn't drink either. But then you find, oh, he got a DUI, right? And so that's the really hard part about all these different things is that as we wrap this up, modern training, ancient training, they're all the same. What they require is diligence mm. the best yeah. they say they say the best teacher is the one that's the most unreasonable <laughs> right because it's, they're unreasonable so you can't reason with them oh but since you, can you teach me this thing no oh how, what's the fastest way to get black belt train can i buy a black belt no right you know, it's that free, old Free Sensei story that people call and they say, How long does it take to get a black belt? And he says, Five years. And they go, train what hard. What if I trained every day? He say, ten, ten years. No, you don't understand. What if I trained really digil- diligently Twenty for 20 years? 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> right? But that's that thing, right? Like, it's all requires you just to be diligent and train. So, whether it's the 16th and 18th century or today in the 21st century, same story. It's the same story. They both have their traps, but they all require
2: diligence. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's a good that's a good place wrap. For us up to a it up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, thank you for watching or listening to this podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and like this video or podcast. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. Thank you.